Welcome to the Everyday Journey Podcast. I'm your host, Vasily Mazin, coming at you from New York City. The idea behind this project is to interview people who are outstanding in their field, one way or another, casting a spotlight on one character at a time. My guest today is a musician, a screenwriter, a podcaster, a web entrepreneur, and a badass software engineer. At 16 years of age, he was a drummer in Iran's first licensed heavy metal band since the 1979 revolution. He was born in Iran, raised in Australia, and now lives in Manhattan. Let me present to you Sina Jazayeri. Whoa, what's up, baby? Mm, what's up, Sina? <laughs> Welcome to my studio. All right, headquarters. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. So today is an unusual episode. It's uh, recorded in person for the first time in my podcasting experience. And uh, it's a crossover episode where Sina, as I mentioned, is a podcaster and he runs a podcast called The Drunk Web, where people get wasted while talking about nerdy shit. It's very cool and I like it and I'm a regular listener. Yeah, and uh, you were actually uh, helping with a few episodes. Yes, I was a technician and a disruptor <laughs> on a couple of episodes. But you helped us finish the alcohol so that's that's pretty uh, that's i think pretty it's big. yeah it cannot be underestimated <laughs> uh so we're doing the crossover which is everyday journey meets the drunk web and i think it's perfect because I mean, we're hitting all the bases here the drunk journey the drunk journey today we're drinking what are we drinking since so yeah. vasily suggested that we keep it classy tonight and so i just brought a nice bottle of red wine didn't want to get you know too crazy or trashy so we're sticking to wine. Bacchus, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon. From, I don't know what it is, but the from guy... From California. Yeah. Well, he said it's really good and, and it, you know, he it, fooled me. So. It has a signature of David Gar Gordon, uh, a wine director of Tribeca Grill in oh. New York City. Oh, there you go. Robert De Niro's restaurant. There you go. Boom. Okay. Boom. So, um, it's not a, necessarily a, a very uh, smooth um, segue, but... If we stick to a little bit to my notes here, I wanted to see if you could tell me about what it was like growing up in Iran. Can I first uh, pay a tribute to uh, this beautiful platter you have for us today? We got prosciutto, we got olives. Dude, I'm such an olive guy. And so go. we got olives, we got cheese. Uh, so thank you for putting this together. You're welcome. My pleasure. I wanted to put uh, something that could rival your offerings when I'm at your place. Ha! <laughs> I'm possibly succeeded yeah. and, and, and superseded. This is good. Mm. All right, so uh, yeah. we're talking about Iran? Iran, yes, yes. Okay. Because like, even though you were like a New York dude and most people will not ask you this kind of thing because you seem like you're very much in place here, you were born in a country where people prefer not to be in when they have desire to be free and expressive and all this kind of stuff yeah yeah so what was it like to be a child there was it so, cool uh, yeah iran's an interesting case because you know i always explain iran as an extremely religious place and it and it sure is but then you have a place like saudi arabia uh so how do you describe saudi arabia it's it's much more extreme so What's confusing about Iran is that it's really having an identity crisis. And so we really don't know who we are. We, there, there are two major extremes. There, there's the hardliners, and there's, which, which I believe is the majority of the population who, who, who really um, 
have bought into to the idea of you know the the Shia Muslim world, but then you have these complete opposite intellectuals who are you know very educated who are into into uh you know the the best and the greatest west of the western arts and philosophy and, and culture and and so it's really hard to define iran as a society as a as a culture it, it really is not as one dimensional as one would think um but we we have to be fair about it because i think a lot of people when they when they get here a lot of iranians they talk about iran like this utopia that nobody ever discovered it's not exactly like that but it's also not exactly like you see on cnn either so it's kind of somewhere in the middle so um it's very different from the other uh, islamic countries uh, and it's much less of this of this monolithic um, kind of religious rule um oppressive place i mean what, what are the good examples i guess syria comes to mind or maybe jordan or something like that I don't know, yeah. egypt maybe even um so there's plenty of intellectual people plenty of intelligentsia right plenty of people yeah. who, who want to be western style free yeah so th there's a map of uh, this is a funny map of the world and it has uh, one word on each country which uh, is little known fact about that country but it's actually statistically correct and so um i'm, I'm trying to think of a couple of examples but the, the one with iran is uh, uh it's it has the greatest um brain drain of any other country mm. which is when you have educated intellectual curious people leaving the country and so it's it's actually number one in the world according to the funny map which could totally not be true but I you were very young though right when when you left Iran. i was no i was like 16. Oh, okay so, okay so yeah. so from your perspective being there at that time i'm not sure if it was too different from what it is now um was it like just a cool place for you or you not at all no, no no i have to be honest about it because it's tempting for me to be like oh yeah it was cool and and it's not like Saudi Arabia, but and and it's I don't know I've never been there, but it but it's not in a sense that uh, women can drive and go to college, so it's not uh, that insane. But um, no, man, like I, as soon as we left home, so my parents uh, to give you some context, they were um, both to a degree outlaws, and you know they were, uh, but as soon as you left. Like school, right? I I got first of all um, all boys schools and all all girls schools, separate. right? So mm -hmm. separate schools. So you go to school, and the moment you get there, you feel you don't even have to wait till you get to school. The moment you leave the house, you feel like you 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 can't do certain things, you can't um, wear certain things, and and so the the contrast for me was super obvious, and. It wasn't cool because I was always questioning, you know, from from age seven, eight. I remember questioning these stupid things that were going on in school. Like the guy was telling us uh, it's during that month where people are fasting and we are seven, eight years old. And, and you're not supposed to do that until you're 15 or something. And I was always questioning it. And I, and I would go to my teachers and say, hey, man, like, don't don't you get hungry? Like it's, it, all day you're not supposed to eat, eat anything or drink water at all. 
Like, isn't that crazy? And then, and then I would get in trouble because I wasn't exactly revolting against the system, but I was just asking questions like, how does this make sense? Teach me. I'm curious. And that would always get me in trouble. My, my parents were always, they had to show up in school and explain my behavior. And, you know, from, from very, a very early age, my mom knew that if I stayed there, I would end up in, in jail before I was 20. That's so. kind of um, it's peculiar how similar it is to my bringing uh, in the Soviet Union, where uh, were you talking about being seven years old here or 10 years old, right? Something like that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it was the same thing for me with the communist regime, uh, where in school I would ask questions uh, based on what I've overheard at home. Uh, something about Lenin or something like that and the teachers would get mad at me for for questioning anything yeah. you know, because again at my home they were like uh, domestic dissidents you know they, <laughs> like light versions of of, of uh, um, sort of contrarians who who worked well in the system my parents and, and my grandma uh, who worked well within the system but didn't necessarily lick the boots of the system you yeah. know they were like okay you know we, I guess we'll have to survive but we don't have to uh, be doormats, you know, and, and, and let let the the ideology, you know, steamroll over us. You know? Yeah. So uh, very cool. Um, and what did you aspire to be growing up? I um, wanted to be a, a f- soccer or football referee, which is the weirdest thing. <laughs> anyone <laughs> specific. But I have. I remember my mom made the referee jersey for me which used to be always black it was like the guy would wear all black uh, jersey and and shorts and socks and Mm -hmm. shoes and i remember i had a a little mini like a bag thing where i put my put my coins and i would show up with the coins and the the coin was there for the coin toss to see who who would start the game i was pretty great at, at, at soccer but i more than playing i wanted to be the referee and so I would show up my coin and do the coin toss and do the whole thing. And How would you explain this desire to be the referee versus the player? Did you just <laughs> want to be more like an observer, like the judge? Um, maybe you weren't very good at soccer. <laughs> I No, I, that's the thing. I was good, yeah. but but I, I had this uh, weird desire to, to want to be the referee. I think it's because I wanted, uh, I, I enjoyed a certain level of discipline and control. And being one of the 11 players just didn't give you that, you know. And that's what I think now, today. Because I didn't think well, about it back then. But I just be completely wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know where it came from. But my only explanation is, oh, you know what? I can bring peace into this, you know. And so a cool fact about you is that at 16 years of age, you were a drummer in a band. And this was not allowed in Iran. And somehow you managed to to make it work, and yeah. I think it ties into another thing that you did later in life. But um, how did you become a musician? Uh, it was uh, I, I was really lucky to have about seventeen things happen in a row for me to end up where I ended up with music. Uh, my family had nothing to do with music. We didn't have any musicians in the family. Uh, not even artists. I don't think our family was that artistic, but uh, I ended up seeing somebody play live music, which was a very rare event to happen uh, when I was growing up in the early 90s, mid 90s in in Iran. I ended up seeing this this band play live in uh, somewhere distant. And 
and I saw the drummer and I was nine years old. Uh, I saw the drummer and I just fell in love with that image because I had seen people do those motions in Michael Jackson live videos. Um, 1994 in Budapest uh, was, I think, the peak of Michael Jackson. And I remember seeing the drummer in the background for like three seconds the guy shows up and i was blown away by that image so then i saw it in person and of course it wasn't a, a real drum set it was one of those electronic drum sets mm -hmm. and uh, it was totally fake but i, I still I, I saw that and I, I fell in love with that image and i'd never seen that before and how come you never saw this before like uh, you just don't have live music in, oh, in I see. A, well so, you you ha i have to be fair like you 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 there's live music but it's either classical music or it's iranian folk music which just has a lot of percussion that doesn't have a drum set doesn't have a drum set no mm. you have uh yeah there's there's a little bit of percussion but it's mostly sitar and that sort of thing mm -hmm. um but i'd never seen like a drummer rock it out you know I and see. so i like saw like that improvise a little bit and kind of be the centerpiece at certain yeah times like the, and... the idea of like a drum solo to me was so mind-blowing mm -hmm. and so uh i think you were gonna segue into this but i ended up um spending i, I spent three years writing about the story and how i met this guy the drummer and how he turned me into music and um and so it was it was a pretty uh Can i, I think... come back around to to the to the script writing yeah uh, it, it... Yeah, yeah. So, okay. yeah. Long story short, the, the music turned into um, this. This I, I met a group of guys, a very small community of underground rock musicians in Iran, completely uh, illegal. Uh, you were not allowed to play outside. You were not allowed to carry records with you, let alone play it. Uh, and if they found you on the street with a record. That would be. They could totally take. Was it, it by away. chance, or you were seeking out this kind of like-minded people? It was by chance. I, th I think there was so little that society was giving me from a, from a creative perspective and from a uh, freedom of expression perspective. That as soon as music came by, and uh, first of all, I was good at it, so I, I it felt good right away. And I met people who were different, and that uh, that was enough. You know, it was such an escape. I mean, it becomes, you know, everybody goes through this rock and roll phase in their life, usually when they're a teenager. Right. right. And so for me, it's, it's this is not a miracle. It's it's just like everybody else. The difference in my case was that I was getting so there, there was I couldn't go to a record store. So it wasn't so accessible. So the fact that it was so little of it available made it that much more special. Was and, there a meeting spot? Yeah, one of the guys had this uh, amazing apartment. Um, I, I, I don't forget it to this day. There was, this is 20 years ago now. Uh, he had a giant painting of uh, Pink Floyd's The Wall on, on, his, uh, on his wall. And uh, the teacher coming out of it, the teacher kind of looks like an ass who's coming out of the wall. And I remember seeing that, having no idea what was going on. Mm -hmm. I just knew that that was cool and that was mm -hmm. different. And then later, you know, five years later, I listened to the wall and I'm like, oh shit, that's what it is. That's what was going on. Yeah. So we would we would hang out there. His mom, who uh, did not speak a word, uh, was, and I'm not kidding, and she's in the script, by the way. Every time we went to the, his place, it was just him and his mom. The mom was 
sitting on the couch, staring at a tiny television, watching uh, Def Leppard, uh, live, uh, live performances, Def Leppard. She was just into it. And she wouldn't say anything. She wouldn't say hi to us. She wouldn't introduce herself. Ah, so she was kind of part of the rock and roll uh, movement. Yeah. While being completely silent. <laughs> yeah, she was completely silent, but she yeah. would just watch the thing. and Not, not mute, though. She, she could speak. No, um, I, I heard her. She said goodbye to uh, this, the leader, so to speak, of the group who left Iran about five years before I did. Uh, that The night he left, she got up and she said, take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. You'd be well out yeah. there. Where, yes. where did he go? He went to Austria. Um, okay. yeah, he was Same in, as you, except for... Except you, for an L. Fewer letters. Okay, so what are the possible careers for young men and women in Iran? I, I'm Could so you be a web developer in, in, in Iran? Okay, yeah, yeah, this is good. So technology is doing great in Iran. Um, mm. A friend of mine, a shout out to Sohail who lived in Canada uh, about five years ago. Um, he was working on a, uh, at a startup. Uh, a bigger company acquired their startup, and the bigger company was in New York. So, so he came to New York. They, they bought the whole company, and they took everybody to New York. And uh, so he ended up coming to New York. He found me on a, a JavaScript meetup group and recognized my name as an Iranian name. So he reached out to me. I invited him to HBO. I was working at HBO at the time. And so we had lunch there. We became really good friends for about a couple of weeks. He came to one of my shows and, and we talked a lot about everything. It turned out we knew people from our... Uh, we had people in common from from our uh, childhoods in Iran. Um, uh, unfortunately, sad story, his, his father passed away. And so he had to go back to Iran. He went to Iran to... Uh, to attend the funeral and and the ceremonies, and he ended up staying there because uh, the the uh, the startup scene in Iran was exploding at such a uh, such a crazy rate at the time. And he, you know, we've skyped a few times since then, and he, every time he keeps telling me, he's like, "You got to come back. There's there's so much happening. Uh, there's a company." Um, and I think that the key to that and the reason why this is possible is because uh, for for one reason or another, the doors have opened to uh, to external companies from outside of Iran to go to Iran and start these. I want to give a shout out to uh, Cameron Kashani, uh, who is an L.A.-based uh, entrepreneur. Yeah. Uh, and she was... A number of times, a part of a startup weekend in 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 Tehran. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those mm-hmm. guys are doing. Uh, from, from what I hear, uh, one particular company is doing pretty amazing. It's a German company, and they go around the world, implementing the ideas that are doing well in the U.S. market. The Yelp and the Airbnb and the Seamless of the world. Um, they're they're taking that to. Um, they were doing that in Asia several years ago. And so they, they did the exact same thing uh, in Iran. And I think that's where my friend uh, sort of saw the potential. And he actually owns uh, what they consider to be the seamless of Iran. He's the CEO now of, of that company. Like for, uh, restaurant food delivery. Yeah, food delivery. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, I think um, 
the startup scene, the te technology scene is doing really well, so, at least in Tehran. So well, let's move on to your move to Australia and, and how it worked out for you and how you felt. And I wanted to come to the States uh, ever since I watched, uh, you know, for me, the States was the, the country of Michael Jackson and Michael Jordan. Uh, and the, two, the two Michaels. The two Michael J's. <laughs> and so the two MJ's. And uh, there was... Uh, I used to... So my, my dad had all these records and these books. And every time I turned one of them over and look at the back for credits and whatnot, it always said issued or published or whatever at, at New York. And I was like, what is this place? And I... I uh, you know, I was, I was curious. And, and so I was on my way at least i was trying to get here and then 9 11 happened and everything was just put on a pause mm -hmm. uh, and so i i already knew how to speak english my brothers knew how to speak english and they were going to australia because of a, that's another story so my oldest brother was in australia so he called me and he said look um australia is probably the next best thing for you if you want to and i was about to finish high school and he said look um you can get a great education here and uh, you don't have to learn a new language because a lot of our friends went to Germany or or Ukraine of all places. I don't know Very why. And close uh, friends went to Ukraine. Yeah, mm -hmm. and some to to England, but uh, but Australia. And my old my old brother was there, and so uh, I just went to Australia because I just didn't want to stay in Iran because if I had hit eighteen. Uh, if you hit 18, you're either supposed to go to college or or you go to military. You get drafted, right? yeah, and it's hard to get out of it. Exactly. Oh, it, you can't get out of it. I mean, it's, I guess you can. There Bribe are there, your way out of it. There something. are ways, yeah, but but I just didn't want to deal with that. My parents were worried mo more than anything else. My mom's like, you're gonna end up in jail because you're gonna have an evade, argument evade, with evade someone. The draft. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Okay, you're, yeah. gonna, you're gonna cause it, you're gonna play and i was really getting into music and that's when the concert happened so i was feeling good and uh you know i felt like a million bucks so okay. she knew if i had stayed something bad would have happened so yeah i went to australia i went to college there and i i, I started working there yeah i studied computer science um and uh, multimedia screen production interactive entertainment which was essentially uh gaming um and that was cool it was a it was a great creative outlet and that's why i ended up doing after that yeah and you enjoyed your time in australia but as far as i know uh, australia is not as cool in your mind as <laughs> where you are now i gotta be honest with you i i did not enjoy my time in australia I, first of all i had no money very little money i i just was you know people go to australia and they know why they're going there they're going for the beaches and for the for the nature or the Great Barrier Reef or whatever. The Great Outback. Yeah, the Great Outback. Steik. Mm -hmm. uh, or they go to hug a koala or something. You know, I, yeah, I, I had no... None of those concepts existed in my in my mind. So I went there out of out of sheer desperation to get a good education. If only your dad had a book that was printed in Australia. If you know, only. Sydney. You know, if something. only. Thanks yeah. a lot, dad. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it's a great tip for future dads. Yeah. Uh, put books printed in certain city if you want your children. Where you want your child to end yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, I, I owe a great deal to to Australia for giving me a, the education that I wanted and to not fuck with my head as much as uh, my own country, uh, quote-unquote, yeah. did. 
and uh, it was a great bridge for me to to get to here and magically i got a call from my from my dad in 2008 saying uh, by the way we filled out uh an application for a green card in 1994 14 years ago and uh turns out that it, it went through it, it went through and mm-hmm. they want you to come to dubai to do uh, uh to go to the embassy there's no U.S. embassy in Iran because our governments are children. Uh, so the closest embassy is in uh, Abu Dhabi, which is an hour away from Dubai. So they we were we were summoned, me and my parents, uh, because I was still under 21. By the way, I made it by 17 days. So if so, you had to rush from Australia. Yeah, I, had to, I didn't have to rush the the interview, but at the time when your green card case is accepted or reviewed, I guess. That's when they calculate your age. And mm-hmm. uh, it took 14 years. And if I if it had taken an extra 17 days, I wouldn't have made it. Awesome. So, yeah, I went to Abu Dhabi. I did the interview. Uh, and they gave me a green card just out of nowhere. It fell on my lap. Sweet, sweet. You didn't have to fight for it. Uh, yeah. But um, the desire was there, so maybe somehow it manifested. It all came together, right? Yeah. And and no one really chose New York uh, uh, other than you, right? In your family, like y- no. you appeared here be- because you really wanted to be in New York City. Uh, how was y- your beginning of being here? You spent a little bit of time with in California, right? Yeah. Uh, I had to go to California because we had some family there we didn't have anybody here it's more of an established persian community uh, or iranian community yeah in in california yeah i I really it it wasn't that i had no desire to be there i just didn't know anything about california Mm -hmm. Uh, i just knew that i wanted to go to new york and see what it's like and and uh so i came to new york uh with less than a thousand bucks and um I didn't have any family here. I didn't know anybody. I knew a friend of a friend of a friend who uh, offered uh, her couch to me. And so I came here and I slept on her couch for about uh, two weeks. And um, through Twitter, of all places, I got the HBO gig, which was... I still look back at what happened and... I am the the most non-believer of all of all non-believers, but holy shit, how did that happen? That I got this gig out of out of nowhere. Um, I knew my stuff, I knew how to do the job, but I I don't know why they hired me. I I have no idea. You wouldn't have hired you. Yourself. I would not have hired me. No, <laughs> but I got the gig, and it gave me it overnight, almost tripled my salary, and allowed me to be able to to stay in new york did you go through some hardship of surviving in new york like uh, no because it was so quick it it Uh just it took like two weeks two to three weeks you got up on your feet like pretty much as soon as you got here yeah i was working with this australian company making video games for children Mm -hmm. which was actually a really fun gig um so i was the uh, yeah i was doing still doing programming for that company and, and we were working over skype uh, and I was on the couch of of this woman sitting there and working uh, from like six p.m. our time to like two a.m. And I I liked the job and I was scared to leave it, but and I didn't want to take the HBO job. I just thought my mom tells me 
uh, when we talk about it, she says, do you remember you said, oh, you just want to see how it goes. You just want to see what the interview is like. <laughs> you know, and I, so I, I really wasn't planning on getting this gig, mm-hmm. but I went through the interview process and it, uh, you know, no, none of that. I don't want to get into the whole um, nostalgic, you know, American, whatever. But it, it really, truly proved to me that if you if you work hard and if you know your shit, this country has a couple of things for you. You know, and, and it, it doesn't, doesn't mind sharing with you. It right? does not mind sharing if you are willing to work for it. Right. You know, uh, and by the way, people make the part that about work willing to work for it to be much more, uh, much less interesting than it actually is. Uh, but it's there. The opportunity is there. There's absolutely no excuse. Then they make it seem much more interesting. No, much less interesting. Much less interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they make it sound like, oh my god, you have to work so hard from 6 a.m. to 12, mm. whatever. It's not. You just have to know what are you bringing to the table. Right? I I guess I had something for the the wonderful HBO people that hired me. They they felt like I'm I can add some value to their organization and they hired me and uh, hopefully you did mm. hopefully I did yeah I was mm. there for about five years it was the best thing that happened to me it, it was yeah it was amazing I don't know where I would have been without it it's awesome you've been living in New York and you you made it your residence of choice um, you fall in love with everything just like you imagined right as when you were a kid yeah it was mm. exactly how I imagined so the, uh, I was I went to jury duty a couple of weeks ago and I uh, during lunch they give you an hour to go sit outside and do whatever mm-hmm. it was a nice day it was a sunny day so I was sitting on the bench I was eating my food this uh, German scientist sat next to me and we started talking he was apparently there to do some research and we started talking and he said uh, he was doing some research actually on on immigration and uh, the psychology of uh, you know whatever and what people go through and uh, when they call uh, a new place their home which i thought was pretty interesting we sat next to each other and he asked me he said why why did you choose new york and i i thought about it here's how i knew that i wanted to stay here huge city right i i, I get here i have no idea where i am i go downstairs i take the subway uptown for 15 minutes i get out and it's the same thing it's all buildings and nothing's changed and i wasn't afraid and i wasn't i never thought oh my god i don't know what's going on right now i just thought oh i'll figure out this neighborhood later you know it just always felt like home you know it always felt like oh i'm, I'm gonna come back and figure this out whereas if i had gone to much small i had visited much smaller cities in in australia or even some places in, in, in the States, Philadelphia, you know, Boston. And I would always feel like, oh, okay, so this is a big city. I just, I feel, I don't know what's going on. This is not mm-hmm. my city. This is, I obviously, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a visitor here. But New York from day one, it never felt like I was visiting. You mm-hmm. know, it, it felt, felt like, like oh, place. yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I love that. Um, <laughs> and this is where you've come up with an idea to write a script about an episode uh, of your life um, and uh, I think New York is full of writers right so you, you got some professional help uh, because you're not an, uh, an yeah. experienced writer I wasn't planning on doing that so mm-hmm. I was at a conference uh, in Boston actually with uh, with some HBO folks some technical 
uh, conference. It was HTML5 conference. Uh, you know, we went to dinner after the thing, and, and it was good. And uh, <laughs> and so we went to the bar at the hotel bar. We were staying at the Westin, I think. Uh, and so there were a couple of conferences going on. So there were all the HTML5 people, and then there were all these like finance people, and there were just a, a, a lot of people hanging out at the lobby hotel bar. And uh, I sat next to this woman who was having a really hard time with her uh, email. She was struggling with Yahoo email. And she's like, oh, it's not working. And, and I'm like, you know what? Why are you still on Yahoo? Like, this is, come on. You got to switch to something a little less spammy. And so we started talking. And uh, she's like, so where are you from? I'm like, oh, I, I live in New York. She's like, oh, I live in New York. So turns out she lived in New York. Mm -hmm. and so we really hit it off. And we became the best of friends. Uh, we met up in New York. And and uh, she took me to some of her favorite places. I took her to my favorite places. And and um, we uh, we ended up talking about my childhood. And one of, one of these nights we were, we were having uh, Manhattans. Uh, in and Manhattan. In Manhattan, yeah. Possibly Brooklyn. Yeah. We were actually at the place called uh, Tipsy Parson, which does not have the specialty Manhattans anymore, but they were used to. They were, they were, they were, uh -huh. they were dope. Okay. And so I told her about my childhood, and and she was, she's like, you you have to write this, and, and I'm like, I'm I'm not a writer. I'm not. I don't know how to write. Um, but she was a writer. She she wrote for Hollywood. Actually, she's an IMDb, and she uh, uh, wrote and produced and starred in her own movie. And and so she she's like, I'll help you. And uh, so she actually uh, mentored and coached me into writing this thing. And we spent three years uh, writing three drafts, and now it's uh, it's official. We're actually working on pushing uh, it forward right? yeah i don't know what to do with it but it's so it's, yeah, what did you learn and tell me does it have to take three years to write a script or for someone like you was it a reasonable amount of time or was it just really yeah. drawn out mm. yeah i didn't waste a lot of time mm. it took maybe two years to come up with a story that I, I was happy to 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 tell the problem is if you're telling a, a true story that's nice good for you but can you also tell it in an entertaining way mm -hmm. where you can turn it into uh, uh, you know, something that people want to watch or listen to or read? Um, and so that was the challenge. That's why it took a long time. Because I knew the story. I just didn't know the format that people would be interested in. Mm -hmm. And so we, yeah, that's why it took three years. And, and um, what is coaching like like you you have some assignments you write some at home and then when you meet up you review your stuff or? yeah so she taught me how to what the skeleton supposed to look like uh, the the 12 or the 12 steps or the right. 12 sections the save the cat yeah situation. save the cat yeah we talked about uh -huh. it before yeah um and uh yeah so she would review uh the the arc of the story mm -hmm. and she would tell me that some things are just not interesting or not pushing the story forward yeah i think that's the phrase that that she used the most shout out to to julie if you're listening <laughs> for those who are not aware uh, and i wasn't aware until recently there is a popular book called save the cat that describes the formula the the beats right, uh, of the movie of each movie that we like uh, pretty much from Hollywood that, that, that we, all, oh, yeah. we, all, we all know those movies we, we sort of most of the time don't even know how they grab us we just think 
to ourselves. Wow, that was a good movie. Or they're memorable. Maybe we, we even have something bad to say about them, but they all work, right? Oh, yeah. we, all, we all know. Like, they grab us at certain parts of the movie. Like, we kind of, like, sympathize with the character. You know, yeah. we, we hate the antagonist. You know, we um, <laughs> worry about things that, that are happening. And they're, at the end, we're rewarded with a happy ending. Right. <laughs> a satisfying yeah. ending. A satisfying Maybe ending. Maybe not necessarily happy, but yeah, satisfying. Right. Yeah. And that's for a different podcast. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So, you, you went through this. You, you yeah. sort of... Uh, um, had carcass had the skeleton and you put some meat on it uh in that fashion yeah Uh yeah i'm pretty happy with it and it's the story of the the, uh the underground music scene in the late 90s in in iran it's you being in the band uh yeah rock and roll in this sort of a restricted environment yeah the Uh, struggles of of school and uh the contrast between school and playing uh deep purple after school underground in a uh in a sauna believe it or not that's <laughs> where we would, yeah that's where we would hide <laughs> one of the guys was super rich and he had a massive house but uh with a sauna in the in the basement so that's where we would practice cool would you go for another script uh, not related to this uh, part of your life like would you continue writing or or this was a yeah if I'm, challenge uh, the experience is extremely rewarding. I thought so. As a software engineer, we are all as a front end developer. Right. We are used to seeing the fruit of our labor within a matter of seconds. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's instant gratification. It's fun. You know, you write a couple of lines and you something appears on the on the screen. Command R. <laughs> Command R. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Refresh. Um, so I thought that writing would be extremely boring for me because. If you're lucky, you end up seeing the result of your work several years later. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's actually not like that. It's, it, it was uh, surprisingly satisfying to write and to be able to turn the story uh, in any direction that you want. That's, uh, that's pretty fun. I, I'll do it if I have some time or if I have a, a good idea. That, that's burning that you cannot stop. Yeah, I do have about. one idea. It's called Escape from Heaven. It's a story of a guy who ends up in heaven, but it's the wrong place for him. And all of his friends end up in hell. And he has to navigate through heaven uh, to go to hell. But in the process, he ends up falling in love uh, with a, an angel. And so he's like, all right, do I want to be in a boring place where nobody drinks or parties at all with this girl? Or do I want to go to hell and burn for eternity and, but be with my friends? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is <laughs> the recipe for a good story. It's the inner conflict. In the story of your life. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Um, so let's move on to your career in web development. Can we have another drink before we do that? Yep. yep. All right. We'll do that. What the, do you think about this in, wine? In the, I like this wine. Yeah, I like this. It's good, right? We're, we're in, the, in the best traditions of um, the drunk web. The drunk web. <laughs> Doing the, the pour uh, next to the microphone oh, so, yeah. so you all can hear. Classic. Yeah. <laughs> Which podcast am I? Am I, am I the drunk web? Cheers, my friend. <laughs> Salute. Cheers. Cheers to your listeners. So now, now here, here it starts. <laughs> here it starts. The drunk web. You are a web developer, and you are front end guy. You can do some back end. You can even do a little bit of design. Obviously, uh, we already covered how you arrived there. There was um, Australia with development and software development, and then there was HBO. 
and then you ended up um, doing the front-end web stuff. Was there a passion uh, for it? Were you randomly directed in, in that in that uh, corner of the development world? Or, uh, yeah, it wasn't just a job mm -hmm. like it happens for a lot of people. I was obviously interested in music. When I got to Australia, I uh, ended up picking uh, computer science and multimedia because I discovered, uh, you know, music is just another form of uh, expression. I, I discovered the power of the screen and, and how music can only be a part of that. And you have a much, much more powerful weapon if you integrate graphics. And so I, then I got into video and, and filmmaking and and then I was like, I wonder what it would be like if the person on the other end could interact with it, you know. So then I I discovered interactivity, and and this is probably in 2002, 2003, and uh, and the web or CD-ROMs were the only two uh, main formats where you could produce something that was fairly beautiful on the screen, but could also be interactive. Um, and the web was starting to mature a little bit, and Flash was killing it, 2004, 2005. Uh, you could actually make really rich interfaces with Flash, and, and you, could, you could import music and sound into it, which was awesome. And it was highly interactive. You could have hover effects and, and drag and drop and that sort of thing. Yeah. And so it really captured my, my interest. So I ended up doing that, and then I discovered... Uh, that you know gaming this we're essentially talking about gaming here video games and design game design and things like that and so that's but when i when i moved to hbo uh i was i was happy about the fact that this is so we're on hbo.com yeah so hbo.com front end um we inherited it from a team of consultants but we were going in to be the first I believe in-house in-house yeah uh -huh. and so hbo.com was was really interactive it, it had a lot of traffic because people were going to hbo.com to check the schedule there was no hbo on demand uh -huh. uh, at the time so you had to go and check the schedule to see what time your favorite Something show was going to air yeah and this is the sopranos days so sopranos was still on the air oh wow so that was actually going on when you were on yeah were uh -huh. yeah yeah this is pre Game of Thrones, and Obviously, we actually yeah. had a uh, Sopranos. Uh, My favorite show, by the way. Sopranos. Sopranos yeah. Oh, it was yeah, yeah, it was one of the best. Mm -hmm. And so I was happy about working on something like that because, again, all the all the exercises I'd gone through, interactivity, uh, interface design. Um, it was a massive site, though. So uh, design patterns from a software engineering perspective came mm -hmm. in handy. That sort of thing. So it, it all really comes together when you think about the modern software development um, ecosystem that we have right now. You have a ton of people coming from creative backgrounds, whether it's music or design or. Uh, and I I think that's part of the reason why it's going it's doing so well is because it's allowed so many people people with different backgrounds to to get in. Hashtag color code. Uh, hashtag color code. Okay. Uh, what is color code? Color code is my pet project. 
Is that what they call it? What is pet project? No, it's like, is it a thing you care about? Yeah, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. pet project. Yeah. So, color code is my pet project. It's an attempt to teach non-technical people how to code. And the reason why I think that's important is because the market is just simply way too oversaturated. We have too many jobs available and too few people who know how to do them. It is much easier than people think to get a programming job. It still requires all the necessary disciplines than any other field for you to be good at. You still need to be a hardworking individual. You have to do your homework. You have to work hard. You have to practice. But the the case I make uh, in Color Code Introduction videos... Uh, by the way, head over to colorcode.io and check it out if you're interested or if, if you know somebody who has interest in programming short videos under five minutes each under three minutes under three minutes yeah under three <clears throat> minutes each um so, so the the case i make is that sure you have to be really good at um if you if you want to make a lot of money and be successful and and what uh and whatnot you need to be good at something specific it's not it's not specific to programming if you're good at anything you're gonna be successful but the case I make is how long it takes to get there. So a classic example I bring up a lot is medical. If you want to be a great doctor who makes $200,000, dollars $400,000 a year, you are going to invest a decade of your life, uh, more or less, in a lot of cases more. Lots and lots of money in college. And uh, you know, it's just, it takes a very long time to get there. The case I make is with software engineering, the the form of it that we have accessible to us today, in less than a year, you can get a programming job. You're not going to make 300K, but you're going to make enough to support yourself. And that's mm-hmm. enough for a lot of people. And what we have done a terrible job at is making it easy for non-programmers to get in. It's still fairly intimidating for a lot of people. It's we, all, who, who did this? We as, as I'm, I'm generally talking about the programming community industry. You mm-hmm. know, there's there's a lot of code schools out there. Mm-hmm. Codeschool.com was one of them. Um, oh, I see. So even they they look beautiful, and there's they have some cartoon characters that help you get through and all this stuff. But yeah. they're still intimidating. Yeah. They're intimidating, and they're expensive as shit, man. Mm-hmm. You want to go to uh, General Assembly, and by the way. I think General Assembly is doing a good job. I know some of the instructors, they're they're great. I have hired people who came out of General Assembly, nothing against them, but you're spending several thousand dollars just to try. That's not good enough for someone who just lost their job, you know, who's who's looking for a new career. So, we need to do a better job at uh letting people try it. And, and see if it's for them. So that's what I try to do with color code. So I, I, I simplify everything to a point where it's still hopefully practical uh, information. Uh, it's stuff that they can put into good use. But at the same time, it's not overly complicated. We don't, we don't go very deep with color code. So, so. It, is it uh, going to be serving as a stepping stone, as a platform for a more serious education? Just to get this fear away from people? 
that they cannot uh, learn something complicated um, like programming? Is it the whole purpose of it? Because they're not going to actually teach them programming on color code. Uh, I can't claim to be any more than that right now because I don't have enough content mm -hmm. to get people uh, to a point where they can go and mm -hmm. do an interview and get a job. But that's my goal. My goal is to walk you through the entire journey from, oh, I don't know what programming is to, I'm going to go interview for a junior web developer position. Right. Oh my God, this is so exciting. Right? That whole process I want to cover mm -hmm. at Color Code. Right now, it's not there. But by the end of this year, my hope is to have uh, all those steps covered. Right? So... It takes time. Nice, nice. Now that you're doing God's work. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you were to describe your life in three lines of CSS. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> position. Position. I'm not a position fixed. Not even a position absolute. I'm more of a position relative kind of guy. Okay. Okay. And uh, display. I'm a skinny guy, so border uh, one pixel. <laughs> solid. Uh, yeah, solid. I'm a yeah. color. Yeah, the color is black because uh, you know, as an African American, I feel like I should. <laughs> if you guys couldn't pick it up from from his uh, lingo, he's a yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so. Okay, and... Uh, That's two lines. Display. Shit, this is hard, dude. Mm -hmm. This is hard. I should do mm -hmm. this at Drunk Web. Mm -hmm. uh, third line, let's see. Oh, man. I should not have had that margarita before I came here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just going to go with... Um, oh, I know. Yeah, this is one of my favorite CSS properties. Mm -hmm. Display flex. Display flex. Okay, so right. you're flex boxing here. Yeah, I think mm. you need to be flexible in life to get good things happen. So, and I, I was just writing some some flex box today. So, display flex, baby. Do you flex on a regular basis? You oh yeah, hell yeah. Mm. When the browser allows. No, so, I'm you saying know. it at a gym. Oh, I flex <laughs> a lot. Uh, yeah, I flex. Yeah, it's important. Yeah, it's important. Even if it's five minutes, I think I, I still do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's uh, then move on into the subject of personal development and um, yeah, health, um, wealth, <laughs> and what else? What else rhymes with that? Um, yeah. uh, that's uh, physical girth, girth. Yeah, physical activities, <laughs> uh, personal projects. I mean, it sounds like you you have a lot of uh, on your plate, um, and and you like it like that. And well, f for you and I, uh, for us to meet, we, we sometimes we require a, a calendar event that we both agreed to. Right? Yeah. Um, and that means you are pretty militant about sectioning off your time and dedicating certain time to activities that you uh, find important and uh, planning things uh, a little bit far out in the future and, and not letting the sort of the spontaneity gonna you know throw you off balance right yeah so I think we're both um, students of personal development in this uh, sort of movement that happened by the uh, way uh, maybe the interesting story towards the end yeah. uh, we met through your cousin whom with whom I had a chit chat at uh, a hotel lobby Ace hotel yeah Ace hotel because he had uh, a bunch of uh, very interesting stickers on his laptop. <laughs> and so I started talking about that, and and after about 
15 minutes of, a, of our conversation, he said, you gotta meet my cousin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and he didn't explain exactly why, uh, <laughs> but he thought maybe we, were, we had like a similar Did spirit. you think it was a female cousin? I was hoping it would be. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sorry, dude. Yeah. So since yeah. then, Sina never made any effort to be a female. <laughs> and, um, My bad. Yeah. So and we met, and and I think I think it was um, somehow he intuitively felt that we would be on the same page, and it ended up being the truth, although we didn't didn't know. Uh, and personal development is one of them, and personal development is essentially. Uh, finding ways to make your life better by uh, getting knowledge from those who've already walked the path and taking it seriously, really taking other people's systems and trying them on yeah. and see what works for you, right? Yeah, mm. I think the beginning of our friendship was uh, was the first time I think we went to uh, to chat. We went to uh, <laughs> it was so funny. We went to catch. I don't know if right. you remember. Right, right. And then neither the of us drank. District. Uh-huh. That's Do you remember right. that? That's right. Because right. we're both so into this whole, like, oh, I'm not going to drink unless I have to. Club soda, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And so neither of us drank, which I thought was, was interesting. I thought I was the only asshole who's not <laughs> drinking. Um, but, yeah, so two things about personal development. I think, first of all, it gets a bad rep. Uh, there's a lot of people just bashing at personal development because they don't understand it. And they are too lazy to try to become better. With that said, there's also a lot of pretentious assholes in this personal development In coaching field. especially. Yeah, coaching who, who just I, instantly think they're better than you just because they're, they're into personal development and then they're reading a well, couple Well, they have to be better than you to teach you something, right? <laughs> mm. Right. Mm. And so uh, I, I really think that both of those groups are... are way wrong like they're not even close to being right and so you have to just take it with a grain of salt whether whether you know it or not you are constantly becoming better uh you are becoming a a more true version of yourself whether to me that's better or worse to you it's better because you're always moving in a direction that you think is uh is most convenient to you so when, when we talk about personal development, I think making a conscious decision to to change yourself for the better is a good thing. Mm-hmm. It, it, can, it can't be a bad thing. But it's also turned us into what I call the quote generation, where we just love quotes. Go to Facebook and, and scroll down the page. I guarantee you within five seconds, you're going to see an amazing quote that somebody posted or whether we like to post it, we like to requote, we like to come up with quotes. And those are great. There's nothing wrong with quotes. They're amazing. But how many of us are actually doing the thing that the fucking quote says? It's like Mark Twain said once. <laughs> right. <laughs> Never record a podcast while drinking wine. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. That guy, he knew what he was talking yeah, about. Yeah. Uh, cheers, by the way. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> to, uh, to Mark Twain. Sinatra. <laughs> <laughs> well, mm-hmm. So I think next time you see a quote on, on Facebook, make sure you tag a friend and then go see them in person and punch them in the face. <laughs> the guy or the gal who... Don't, who be, too, don't be too gentle. Yeah, like we, we've had yeah. enough quotes, guys. Like yeah. we know what to do. Mm-hmm. Let's just go ahead and do it. Okay, so, so here you're kind of bashing it, uh, trying to separate or trying to um, sort of explain that there's this um, kind of bad personal development 
like personal development porn, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Versus <laughs> the stoic, keep it to yourself, improve yourself, don't preach kind of self personal development, right? Yeah, because you got people who who say. This year, like in January, right, mm -hmm. uh, New Year's resolution, which I think is, is the most disgusting idea in the world, which is, do you really need a calendar to tell you that you need to change your shitty behavior? Like, yeah. you stop smoking already. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Uh, but if you, take, if you take that idea and say, all right, like, I'm going to be better at whatever. Great. You want to start in January. Cool. Do it. So that idea in and of itself is not bad. You're saying, oh, in January, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to correct my path and I'm going to do these things that are important to me. That's great. But you can't do that and also watch the entire Game of Thrones series. In the weekend. In a weekend. You can't have it both ways, man. Like If, if you, if you want to watch Game of Thrones, that's great. Do that. But... You can't do that and also build something incredible from scratch that will change the world. Uh, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with, with watching Game of Thrones. I think if you, if you are happy sitting down and, and watching TV and you don't have to invent stuff, from, you know, that's fine. That's okay. That's okay. not for everybody. So, so what is it for you then? Uh, so what is the personal development, self-development self to you? How do you make it a good thing? And if you, if anyone asked you mm -hmm. about personal development, I mean, I, I don't even know if people would ask someone, how can I do more personal development? It's just usually like as a friend uh, yeah. or a brother, you, know, you, you pick up on something and people in, in you want to help someone. Because you've gone through something similar, and then you can offer sort of a, 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 an assortment or maybe a complex of, of things that will help you overcome some issues or improve your routine, your well-being. So, what are those things for you? Um, there's a guy named Simon Sinek. Some of you may may know of him. Uh, he's all over YouTube. Uh, he has a couple of books. Uh, I've only read one of them. It's called Leaders Eat Last. Uh, my friend John K. Paul gave it to me. And uh, essentially what this guy talks about is most of us are in competition with somebody else. We go to work and we, we judge the guy next to us and we think, oh, why did he get the promotion? And I didn't. Um, companies do this. They look at competition and they go, oh, how can we beat the product that they just built? Uh, you see like Microsoft commercials, they take an iPad and they go, oh, I can't, like, I, there's no keyboard, physical keyboard. They're like bashing the competition. What Simon Sinek talks about is if you get out of that paradigm and stop comparing yourself with others and start competing with yourself today, like who is the guy that you see in the mirror today and how is the guy tomorrow going to be better? And just compete with yourself and not in a negative way, in a way that's productive and constructive and, and that you can track, by the way. Tracking is, is huge. S set up goals for yourself and say, you know what? I'm working out two days a week because I keep bringing up work as an excuse. Make it three days a week. Imagine if all of us started competing with ourselves and made ourselves just a little bit better tomorrow. And, and just did that on a continuous basis. Um, when you supersize that, that's a pretty powerful image, you know, that we stop um, this comparison paradigm. And 
our friend uh, um, RSD Owen, <laughs> mm-hmm. RSD Tyler, he talks about this a lot. He uh, he says there's no end to the comparison paradigm because there's always going to be somebody better. And that is such an important message. And I think personal development tried to do that, but it fails sometimes because it gets into money and success and women and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, that, and it's tempting to look at other people who have been into... The, the personal development world or or they've been building their own brand without realizing that they're self-developing for years and years and years it's it's easy to compare ourselves to that guy or girl and say wow how can i be better than him or her where in reality they don't care about you it doesn't matter and neither should you, you man and neither should you it but doesn't can you matter. make them useful some to you like can you use them as a role model somehow uh, i mean yeah but then it's not competition anymore right, right. It's, it's more of inspiration so if mm. if you are inspired by somebody that's wonderful that's that's the best thing that can happen to you because mm-hmm. then you can we are essentially products of our environment and if it if it can be a a positive reinforcement absolutely i think that's that's what we we do all day every day we're just copying we're getting inspired by whether it's positive or negative event that's what's shaping us there's a great book also called uh, how to invent how to how to fly a horse mm-hmm. awesome book this guy talks about how nothing absolutely nothing is original and everything is um is inspired by something else mm-hmm. um and he, he brings up these extreme examples like the star wars uh the the helmets that those uh, those Star Wars guys Star wear. Troopers. Yeah, the guy who wrote those characters was actually really into the Japanese um, whatever fashion in you know uh, you know three thousand mm-hmm. years ago, mm-hmm. and those helmets actually are exact replicas. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. they're the exact replica of the Japanese you know army fashion, and so um, if if you want to use inspiration. Uh, actually you don't have a choice you you only have inspiration to help push you forward and that's a wonderful thing you should you should do that uh, but you should also take action you know I think we just talk about doing these things uh, I think I've talked about it enough but the moment you start taking action you will see results and um, in terms of taking action uh, personally I think that it's easy to be discouraged when you let the your inner perfectionist uh, dictate ah. the um, sort of the level that you want to achieve uh, you can be discouraged very quickly by honestly telling yourself you know what I cannot do the same thing as this guy does who has a million subscribers therefore yeah. I shouldn't try or if I try I will not show it to the world until it's so polished and it may take a few years um, and then by the time you know that the, uh, comes you already your idea becomes relevant because you took uh, right. too much time you never validated it in the beginning maybe it was a turd from the start man uh, so the idea of uh, letting things out and taking action on a small scale as much as possible um, is, is, is is a good one in, in my experience because at least you learn from the mistakes it's because making baby steps seems to be um, something that your pride uh, 
you know, does not allow you to do as you become an adult, right? You think like, yeah, you know, when I was a child, I was doing silly things and blah, blah, blah and it, it's, it, it was all fine. But now, uh, the whole world is judging me as an adult, therefore, I either must not do anything that revealed me as, a, as an idiot or a lacking skill, uh, or I'll do it secretly for a while and, right. until you know until I can show it. Okay. This point mm-hmm. that you just brought up, mm-hmm. I think, is going to be the next big uh, self-development concept that a lot of people are going to make a lot of money on. They're going to hammer this thing out until it's a dead horse. That the idea that perfect doesn't exist and that you should stop uh, caring about whether you're ready or not and just do something. And I, and I get it. It's it's awful. It's a terrible experience that you have almost nothing. You have this like tiny bit of uh, creation and you're up against guys who have 10 years on you and you're supposed to feel excited about going into the ring. You know, it's it, we're not built for that. That, that. That's scary. But the sooner you get into the ring, the more time you're going to have on the next guy right and so again it becomes a one as soon as it becomes a competition you're gonna lose there's no winning right so you got to get yourself out of that mind frame and when you realize that i'm never going to be ready this is never going to be perfect this is not never going to feel right but i'm doing something and compare yourself to the guy who's uh, who's smoking a lot of cigarettes? Who's watching a lot of TV? Who is yeah, gaining weight? Who's if, not working out? If you want to use comparison for do that for something useful, <laughs> might yeah, as well do that. You might as well do this, yeah. Right. And and in, if you're still not so advanced that you cannot stop comparing yourself to others, at least uh, notice in your life. I mean, everyone had it or will have it at some point when you see someone getting into something. And you, you're sort of on the inside. You're laughing. This guy, no way. You know, he, he's so crude, and nothing good is come is gonna come out of his efforts because he lacks elegance and 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 thoughtfulness and stuff like that. But then you're not doing anything. You're doing keep doing your thing. You're doing your nine to five or whatever. And you notice this guy develop uh, from a very crude, very uh, un, un uh, unprepared for for the craft person in, into something by you know something that is that is more suitable more palatable by making a lot of mistakes and you stop laughing after a while you're yeah. like whoa <laughs> he actually moved on forward so far right. uh, and i never thought he would and and i sort of if you used him as an example of like well i mean if, if anything like i should have been that you know because he was an idiot you know i always knew that you know uh then use this example as a reminder that the sooner you get into something that you want to do the better and it doesn't matter and everything else really doesn't matter you know what matters is that you want to do it and then and the best time is now yeah right? yeah it, i'll add one, one more thing to this and then this might be confusing for some people but any any big idea is not going to be so black and white and there's going to be footnotes and there's going to be you know gray areas uh you need to be self-aware too like try something and if 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 you're doing horrible at it, maybe it's not for you. Like, be honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. There is no way I'm going to play in the NBA. That's that's a fact. Doesn't matter how much I want it. Doesn't matter how much I'm. I feel good about myself. Even though you're border one pixel solid exactly. black. <laughs> <laughs> this it's just not going to happen, you know. But I mean, some things are not. 
so easy to detect some of these, uh, uh, you know, inability to, to do something right. or be great at something. It's not so easy to detect. Um, so you have to get in there and then try it. And there's a there, between where you are and being an NBA star, there is a trillion possibilities for you to pick from. You don't have to go to the extreme. So there is a lot of wonderful things for everybody to do. And they are fully capable of doing it. And they're fully capable of being successful at it. Um, you just have to go and do it. You got to give yourself uh, a, ch a chance to do it. Should we do uh, round three? Round three. Right. Cheers. Cheers to your mm. listeners. Mm. I hope you're... You're drinking with us. I hope yeah. I hope you. I hope I have listeners. Yeah. By uh, the way, how sexy is Vasily's voice? Right, everybody. Right. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, productivity. Do you consider yourself a productive person, or do you have um, how how your self awareness about this? Do you have complaints about yourself? No, I don't have complaints. Uh, there are times when I think, oh, dude, I took too long, you know, but. The the question that I guess I get asked the most is, uh, why are you in such a good mood? You uh, are doing so much. You need to take a break. You need to travel. And I, I, I like traveling. I, just like everybody else, I like to go to whatever, all places. I don't need it, though. You, you, you meet a lot of people in New York who say, oh, I need to, I need to get out of the city. I don't really need to get out of the city. And that's one of the things that came to me recently that I, I used to force myself to leave and go take a break and come back. But the moment I got there, I was like, oh, wait a minute. Just, I have so much to do and I'm so excited to do all of them. I want to go back. If anyone follows uh, Sina on Snapchat, rest assured that he is exactly the same in real life as if he's on Snapchat. <laughs> he doesn't make it up. Uh, and yeah. I, I want to do the Snapchat uh, on air with you okay. if we can. Okay. Um, do it but but yeah so when it comes to productivity i think we can all do better but you just got to be realistic with your with your goals it's it's not healthy to constantly uh, want to do more and more and more uh you just have to be clear about your goals so for example i want to release a course on color code by the end of next month right it requires writing recording editing publishing and uh, any of those steps has every and all of those steps has a lot of bumps in the road. Um, so I need to be realistic. I can't get down on myself every time I don't release something. First of all, I don't have investors. It doesn't matter. Nobody's holding a gun to my head. Mm -hmm. uh, so as long as I make progress, I think that's one of the things that we are really hardwired to respond to positively and that we don't realize it, that progress makes us happy. The end result is also really great. It makes us happy. But as long as you're making progress, you're going to go home and you're going to feel good. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that my job has forced me to learn. So at any given point, I'm responsible for anywhere between 10 to 20 engineers careers you have a job by the way so i do have a job yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. and so working with uh, at least a dozen developers and day to day and being involved in their work and their careers their happiness and it you can't escape that you have to get involved you have to get your hands dirty and when that happened i noticed 
uh, I noticed my personal projects also started to become more and more. Uh, I found a good rhythm for my personal projects, so it's almost all or nothing kind of thing. You know, it's not like oh, if you're more involved in your in your job nine to five. When you go home, you're tired. Now you need to take a break. For me, it actually came the opposite. This might not happen to everybody, mm -hmm. but the more I do nine to five, the more I can do after five o'clock because it's a mental state. And you can't wait to switch to the home project mode, right. uh, your pet project mode, right? Yeah. To you, for you, it's like chilling. It's like watching Game of Thrones. That's, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's never been hard because this is a good one because people think about uh, people talk about. Oh, Sina, you're saying don't watch TV, but I think you need that because it's healthy. I do think it's healthy, but... To take a break. To take a break, yeah, mm -hmm. but but it never felt like... My my day job, the, the, the thing that pays for my mortgage and for my coffee ice cream um, and kombucha, I like that sometimes. On, on tap. The, yeah, on tap. The, the thing that pays for those, my profession, the thing that I'm best at, never felt like work. Right. And so it's not supposed to be difficult. It's not supposed to be one or the other, good or bad. Uh, escape from reality to watch Game of Thrones. You should watch Game of Thrones. But when you go back to your work, you should feel just as happy and as satisfied as when you're watching TV. I never felt like, oh, my God, I'm going to go sit down and design some interface and write the code and it's going to do this and that. It always felt easy. Which I think is, I'm lucky to be in this place. Not mm -hmm. everybody has that. Mm -hmm. I know developers who don't have it. So it's not, it doesn't come for free. But I really hope that people can find something that, that feels as satisfying as watching TV. Because then, holy shit, you can just do so much. And, uh, you got to be able to find uh, that, right? Not everyone has uh, good ideas or just a general feeling for what could substitute um, yeah. just dumb entertainment yeah well we've been lied to right we've been yeah. we've been lied to from from day one that work is boring and hollywood actors got it easy and it's fun for them but the rest of us the nine to the idea that the nine to five is a concept is a negative concept is the greatest lie of all time. Yeah. So if, if any of you list, of the listeners, uh, if you record uh, yourself on Snapchat saying, oh, God, I hate my job. Well, you might as well go um, take a hike for a few miles. And, or, I yeah. don't know, just maybe play on, on, you know, um, on the highway. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Run, run between cars. You don't, you don't <laughs> get to say that. Yeah. You don't get yeah. to say, I hate my life. Mm -hmm. Because... You, uh, Gary V did a, uh, he did a, like a <laughs> rough estimation of the odds of any human being uh, being born. And it was something like one in 700 trillion, some, some weird number like that. The fact that you're here and that you get to choose to go to this restaurant or that restaurant means that you already won. So you don't mm -hmm. get to complain. That's number one. Right. <laughs> and, and if you feel like you, you're, you want to complain and that your situation is not great, go change it. Like, what's stopping you? There are people who don't have... Most of the planet doesn't have water. And you're complaining because your job is a little bit not great. What's wrong with you? Or, or because <laughs> you know 
in your heart of hearts that you need to quit this job and you're not doing it for some reason. You just, mm -hmm. you, just you prefer to complain about it. And uh, like um, uh, our friend uh, Eckhart Tolle, uh -huh. not our friend, but our <laughs> spiritual teacher of the, of the power of now, um, he introduced me to this concept of uh, the pain body, where uh, everyone has some kind of a part of our personality, of our sort of inner being that is called the pain body that feeds off of your pain and resentment and uh, negative feelings and stuff like that. So it can either be uh, it can either be born out of a collective uh, pain, such as uh, a race, you know, um, that is uh, oppressed, or uh, a gender, or something, some kind of a social group, uh, or it can be a personal experience where you had very tough childhood and you get reminders throughout your life about how shitty your life was and that body uh, that pain body lives inside of your body and it likes to eat mm -hmm. pain right and so whenever you have a chance to feed it you sometimes most people don't know they have it right uh, it, it demands to be fed uh, and when you have a shitty job there's plenty of food for your pain body oh yeah so you can you kind of have this uh, this Man, you know this sick dog inside of you or something like like a, some kind of pet that you don't need at all you know in the, uh, some kind of parasite i'd say yeah that yeah. just likes to eat negative stuff and you feed it and you don't and you think it's part of you you think it's like oh yeah you know i'm oppressed you know oh this and that the I, victim I, mentality. the victim mentality right yeah. right um yeah so and when, once you realize this once you separate yourself from that you start diminishing it you start putting it on a diet yeah. So it, it doesn't have as much of an appetite because the more you feed it, the more it wants it wants it. And so you can have daily nonstop feasts of uh, negative stuff, uh, and sometimes people get together to do this to feed each other, you know, to yeah. be sort of compassionate about each other's pain, uh, just basically not taking it away, but swimming in the pool of it. Right? Right. Yeah, and I, I don't think, by the way, you can completely eliminate it so i'm gonna i'll make a case for negativity how about that uh i think it's it's important to have balance even when it comes to you know positive negative emotions but the degree to which you allow this negativity to creep into your life is is really important because it's 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 a spiral into a pool of negativity if you allow it so some of us have it more than others, right? Uh, happens to me a lot. You can tell, like I, I complain, like an old man, sometimes. <laughs> like wait a minute. Well, so listen, Sam. Um, we've been talking for a while about some good stuff. Yeah. Mostly good stuff. Sorry, there was not enough negativity for you. Uh, <laughs> but um, I can't complain. Thanks for coming. I think it turned into everyday. A drunk journey web. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm feeling the wine. Feeling the wine. Feeling the wine is good. Yeah. Um, so, thank you so much. I hope you uh, continue with your everyday journey in New York City without traveling. Unless you really want to travel. Yeah. Um, but, Dude, I am going to destroy these olives as soon as we stop. You just didn't want to make, make, the, make the sound. Yeah, I didn't want to be rude. Okay. You know. Thank you for your listeners. If anybody stuck around till the, till the end, uh, thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Till the next episode. <laughs>